Hey guys, well I'm going to get straight in, um, carrying on from yesterday where we are starting our four mornings, understanding what is humanity and uh, looking at these four states, these four conditions of humanity, looking at what the Bible reveals. Remember we looked yesterday at the fact that this is not a suggestion, this is not an opinion, this is a revelation and a revelation is different from an opinion and different from a suggestion in the sense that a revelation is when a timeless truth, something that is ultimately true for all time, yet the curtain is pulled back on it and we get to understand it. So we're so grateful to God for giving us his word because it gives us revelation after revelation after revelation so that we're not stuck in the dark trying to work things out by our own opinion and just speculate. We've got revelation. We thank God for that. And yesterday I wanted to do a quick recap we looked at the first state, the first age, if you like, of humanity, the age of innocence. We talked about the fact that we are made in the image of God. God himself, from a place of love and blessing and goodness, created man and woman, created man and woman in his image. He created them not to be ruled, but to rule under his rule, to rule over the whole of creation, not to be slaves to all kinds of fears and darkness and selfishness, but to actually rule everything in creation on his behalf. That is our destiny. That is what we were made for, that we're made for something beyond ourselves. Praise God for that, that we're made for, we haven't got to find ultimate meaning in ourselves. You can look as hard as we like that we will not find it. But then the reality is this, something happened. Something happened and we have to go there today. In order to understand humanity properly, fully, we have to go there in order to understand the whole story. You will not understand yourself until you understand this. You won't understand what you see on the news until you understand this. You will not understand the people you meet until you understand this. So we're going to spell it out for you. I'm going to read to you from the book of Genesis. We're going to go back there. Genesis chapter 3. I'm going to read the first 13 verses and this is how it all went wrong. This is the revelation of how it all went wrong. Any bit of darkness you've ever experienced can be traced back to this moment. Every negative thing, every destructive thing can be traced back to this moment. This is the epicenter of all the tragedies that have ever been experienced on this planet. Here we go. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? 
which I commanded you not to eat. The man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Father, please help us with these words. Please open the eyes of our hearts to what you are saying. Amen. I want to pull out some stuff here today. I want to just tell you the story really straightforward. Like I said yesterday, the revelation is here. I'm not going to add to it. I'm not going to take away from it. I'm simply going to explain it. Simply going to let it loose. The Bible says that God's word is alive. It's living and active. If you will let it, it will come and it will bring life where there wasn't life before. I want to pull out a few things from this story. Number one, there's an enemy. We haven't heard about him up to this point. There's an enemy here. He's kind of, he's kind of uh, presented as a serpent. And what we find out about him is that he's subtle and he is crafty. And here's what he does. He deceives. He's the deceiver. This is a representative of Satan. We find out as we read through the Bible that this idea of the serpent is, is speaking of Satan who is a real spirit personality who is set against God. He's part of creation. Only God is outside of creation. Only God created all things. He's part of God's creation. Though when he was originally created, obviously in that sense he wasn't evil then. But it seems from the scriptures that at some point, out of pride, turned against God, wanted God's position, and now makes it his aim to do all he can to rob God of the glory and to do what he can to destroy those who are made in the image of God. And so in, in he comes... And he does three things. And if you want to know about the devil, don't, don't worry about reading all kinds of weird speculative ideas. You really need to know just a few things. It's what he does so you can be, have your eyes open to it. Number one, he questions God's word to create doubt. Did God really say? He, he says, he phrases this thought to her that it creates doubt in her mind. Did God really say? And it, it puts you on the wrong foot. Secondly, he, crea- he questions God's goodness. You won't, come on, you won't surely die. God's only saying that because he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. He's questioning God's goodness, which was going to, the idea is it leads to a place of resentment and then you don't trust God anymore. A place of mistrust where you question God's motives. You question whether or not he is good. And then the third thing he does is that he brings in an alternative promise. I've got, here, I've got the promise. You eat this, you'll be just like God. He brings in something with kind of a bit of a truth, mixed with a bit of a lie, and leads to destruction. That's what he does. That's what you need to know. He will always try and make you doubt the word of God. He will always try and make you question God's goodness so that you hesitate to trust him. And then his aim absolutely will be to offer you something in, in replacement of that. That's what he does. That's what he is about. And then we see what follows. As they listen to him, what follows? This is what follows when you listen to him. Firstly, awareness of nakedness and shame. We heard about it on night one. Suddenly they're aware that they're naked. And before that there was, they were naked and unashamed. Now they're naked and they're, 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 they're sewing leaves together and they're trying to cover themselves up. They're trying to fix themselves up. That's the first thing that goes wrong. You have to try and live your life fixing yourself up because you're ashamed of who you are when you listen to the enemy. The second thing is fear of God's presence. They hear God coming. Now it seems to suggest that the cool of the day would have been a time where God himself would walk in the garden and they would join him for fellowship. And he comes to the garden and he's looking for them and he says, where are you? And now when God says, where are you? It's never, it's, when God asks a question, it's never because he's short of information. When God asks a question, he's getting to the heart of something. He's basically saying, why are you hiding? Because now they're afraid of the presence of God. Whereas before they'd love to be with God, now there's fear of God's presence. They hide in the trees. 
So there's shame and fixing themselves up. There's fear and hiding in the trees. And then when God's God, out of love questions, he says, look, let's talk about this. And what, God is so reasonable. Have you eaten from the tree? Any, why did you? Any beginning, let's talk about it. Let's just get it out there. Let's sort this thing out. Adam blames and passes the buck in two directions at once. The woman you gave me. And then he speaks to the woman and she blames the serpent. You see? Now what I'm trying to show you here is mankind at this point has now fallen. Yesterday, the age of innocence. Today, I want to speak to you about fallen humanity. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were made for the glory of God. We know it. Deep, deep, deep. We know it. We were made for that. But we've fallen. And what you see here are symptoms. These are symptoms of fallenness. Fallenness is the disease. These things are the symptoms of it. This is how you know you're fallen. Shame, that sense of I know there's something wrong with me. And trying to fix yourself up. Fear of the presence of God and hiding from him. And then blaming and passing the buck for, for, for your reasons why, you know, you live like you do and you do things like you do and the decisions you make, oh, it's because of this and it's because, it's because of my upbringing and everyone except me. These are the symptoms of the disease called sin and fallenness. This is where we're at. And at the end of Genesis chapter 3, it says that God banished them from the garden. He banished them and he put these cherubs at, at, at the gates of the garden with his flaming sword. And it was a sign. It was basically a representation of the fact that as you are in your current state, you are now severed from fellowship with me. Why? Because you've chosen your own way. Not because God rejects it from a place of his own heart, but because they have chosen their own way. God says, you've chosen your own way, I'll let you walk in it. God will never force anyone. To follow him. Some people say, why was the tree there? Why did God put the tree there? Because without choice, there is no love. Without a choice, there's no love. Without a choice, there's no trust. If there's only one option, you just do it. If there's two options, you're in a position where you can choose. Choose to love, choose to trust. That's why we made our decision to go our own way. And as a result, we're severed from God. We switched allegiance. Now, now look at us as humanity a few thousand years later. We're in a pickle. And you think that, and we're often told that, if we can just develop a bit more educationally or develop a bit more scientifically or develop a bit more intellectually, then things are going to work themselves out. But we've been developing for quite a long time now, intellectually, scientifically, educationally, and yet things are still the way they are. Why is this like this? What is going on here? Let me explain it to you in the most, in the most simple and yet deep sense. The human being is like an iceberg. Now, there's only one fact you need to know about an iceberg for the, for the sake of this illustration, and it's this. You have 10% above the surface and 90% under the surface. And the human being is like an iceberg, 10% above, 90% below. The 10% can be impacted and affected by education and, and developments and understanding. These things are not wrong. These are good things, and they do help. If you embrace them, help the quality of life, help society, help neighborhoods. So I'm not dismissing them in any way at all, but it's the 10%. It's not the 90%. It's the ex- these, are the, these are the external things. And that's the reason why there's still wars. Wars big and wars small. You put a, a person in a room by themselves, they'll go at war with themselves. They'll go at war to themselves. Why? Because of fallenness. And it go, scales all the way up to neighborhoods, to nations, to international wars. It scales all the way up because there is something going on. And this is what you need to understand. The fallen human being, in fact, the human being per se is not a creature of logic, but is a creature of desire. The human being is not fundamentally a creature of logic, but fundamentally a creature of desire. 
We do what we want to do. That's what we are. Now that's not wrong in and of itself, but if you add separation from God and fallenness and shame and fear and selfishness into the mix, then when you've got a human being who's a creature of desire, in that situation, things begin to get ugly. Now, I hope I don't feel, you don't feel like I'm coming across the way that's kind of overdoing it. Let me make some illustrations just, just to help with a point. Why, why, is, why is there such a high divorce rate? Why do so many people get divorced? Well, there's all, every, every divorce has its own story. And I've been around the numbers of divorces a number of times in terms of growing up. I understand it's very, very complex. But there's something, there's something going on which is basically uniform. And what it is is this. Most people, when they're going out and when they're engaged... They're operating on the 10%. They're on their best behavior. It's not, I'm not saying they're faking it. I'm just saying every effort is being expended for this other person. And then you get married. And maybe even for the first, maybe first few weeks and months, it's like that. Who knows? But sooner or later, the 90% begins to manifest. The selfish desires. The paranoias. The mistrust. The bitterness, the angst, and it, and it drives people apart. Because we're at war within ourselves. You put two people together and closely underneath one another's armor, it often leads to all kinds of pain and all kinds of difficulty. It's the reality of what it is. And we need to just be honest. I, th- I feel you can't get right with God until you're really honest, until you're brutally honest. God hasn't got time for just like religious cliches and sound bites which sound spiritual. He wants reality. And we've got to be real and say, what are we? God made us as creatures of desire. That's a good thing. But we've fallen. We've fallen. And so no, those, those desires now are, are corrupted. Those desires now are just as strong as ever. But they've been corrupted. They're no longer under his lordship, under his authority. We kind of, we're kind of free agents. We, 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 we align ourselves with all kinds of other influences and our desires are impacted by that. But, but we try, we, we, we justify and legitimize our choices because we don't want, you know, you know, it's kind of like, how can I put it? You know, when, let me illustrate for you. You ever had a situation where you're with someone and say, I haven't got any time. Maybe like they're, 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 they're a single person, they're, they're not in love, and they're, but they say, I haven't got any time, my life's really busy. And then suddenly they get a boyfriend or a girlfriend and they're with them like five, six nights a week. Anyone have experienced had a friend like that? You say, where's my friend gone? And you say to them, you say, I thought you were really busy before you had this relationship. Now suddenly you've got pretty much every night of the week free. Now what's going on there? Here's what's going on there. Before this relationship happened, it wasn't that they weren't busy, but actually it's an issue of priorities. Something came along that they desired more and very, very quickly their life's priorities changed. That's how we operate. We operate from a place of desire. The problem is this. We operate from a place of selfish desire. That's the problem. That's the reality. That's what it is. The real driver in my life and yours is this. I want it. And it doesn't sound pretty, and it doesn't sound nice, and we can try and justify it, but we've got to be honest. Desire is the thing that drives people. So what's the purpose? What are the pleasures? And what's the problem of fallen humanity? Number one, what is the purpose of fallen humanity? You know what? We don't know. Because he was our purpose and now we're severed from him. 
And so now as a, fallen, as a fallen person, you don't know what your purpose is. And so we scratch around. We scratch around looking for meaning. We scratch around looking for significance. We scratch around looking for balance and well-being and other words that we use like that. And then we, and we stuff ourselves. We've created things because there's this deep longing within us for glory. And so we try and find glory here or there or somewhere or something that feels big and satisfying. And we stuff ourselves. We've created things. The problem is this, is that we were created as worshippers. We're still worshippers, but we've been cut off from the object of our worship. And so we find ourselves worshipping things that are unworthy and that do not bring any life to us. It's a bit like a, a garden hose that is constantly turned on and you can't switch it off. That's like us as worshippers. We are constantly switched on for worship. But, 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 but apart from God, we're no longer being aimed in the right direction. We're flying around here, there and everywhere, worshipping whatever will promise us life in all its fullness. So it could be like a celebrity, someone you've never met before, but your walls are full of them and you follow them in, 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 in an obsessive way and you, kinda, and you scream and get breathless when you see them. And you, what you're doing is, is that you've... You've put your hose of worship onto that person there. But like any created thing, the closer you get to it, the more disappointing it will become. There's only one person in the whole of, in the whole of your life that you could ever experience who the closer you get, the more amazing they become. Everything else, everything in the created order, the closer you get to it, the more you say, as wonderful as it might be, it won't do it. Maybe it's someone you actually know, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend, and you're fixated. And you feel like they're, they're like the core of your life and you don't know what you do without them. And basically what you're doing is worshipping them. You put your hose on them. Poor person. Poor person. They can never deliver. You're going to kill them. You're going to suffocate them. They can, never, they can never fill your soul. Just like you can't fill your soul, they can't fill your soul. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's sport or football. Do you know this? Do you know that when, when England play football and when they lose, did you know this? Domestic violence increases by 38%. When the England football team play and lose, domestic violence increases by 38%. What is that? That is deranged worship. You're worshipping something that cannot deliver. This is the reality of fallen humanity. This is you, this is me, outside of Christ. This is what we're born into. This isn't just like the really bad people. This is you and me outside of Christ. It's universal. I'll show you that in just a minute. False gods fail. And they leave us stranded and they leave us gutted and they leave us confused and they leave us angry and they leave us heartbroken and it's because we was training our worship on them and they were not they were never made to be worshipped by us it's a tragedy so what's the purpose of fallen humanity we don't know we scratch around clueless in the dark groping around the bible describes it like a veil over us we don't know what we don't know what we're about what are the pleasures of fallen humanity there's two pleasures of fallen humanity number one the passing pleasures of sin Stuff we know is wrong, but we do it anyway. Why? Because we want to. Or because we can't stop. We can't stop. Whether it's laziness or workaholism, or taking God's name in vain to sound cool, or disrespecting your parents, or reaching for stuff that you know is forbidden, or letting sexual lust run away with you, on it goes. It pleases in the moment. And it destroys you that little bit more afterwards. Passing pleasure. Passing pleasure. 
leading to ever-increasing emptiness. So it's the passing pleasures of sin, or it's legitimate pleasures, things that aren't sinful, but you know what? We love them too much. They become too dear to us. They quickly become our God, if you like. You know this idea of worship? Let me explain what worship is. It's one of those words, it sounds so spiritual, religious. Worship is this. What do you think about when you're not thinking about anything? That's what you worship. What do you love the most? Simple as that. Just bring it right down, make it concrete. What do you desire? What do you want the most? I mean, you all know the right answers. That's not, not what I'm asking the true answer. That's what you worship. That's what you worship. I was convicted in preparing this sermon, even doing some work on it this morning. So I'm writing this, I think, God. That's what worship is. It's just what you want the most. Because what you want the most is the most important thing in your life. That's your God. That's how it works. So there can be legitimate things that God has provided. The Bible says God provides all things for our enjoyment. He is, like we said yesterday, permissive. He loves us to enjoy good things. But they so quickly get a grip on our heart. They so quickly become inordinate affections. Things that are outside. They're they're things that we worship. Things that we rely on. Things that we need in an inappropriate way. Things we give our affection to. Our devotion to. Our time to. Our money to. Our imagination to. Whatever you give those things to, that's your God. What you give your time, money, your devotion, your imagination to, that's your God. The number one thing for you. Everything's out of kilter, you see. The sun is not in the center of our solar system. And so everything else in our, it's, it's, everything's spinning out. That is the human condition outside of Christ. That is the fallen human condition. There is no legitimate center. So those are the pleasures. That's it. Finally, what, what's the pain? What's the problem? Well, there's so much. There's the boredom of life without God. Everything is so temporary and so meaningless and so futile. It's just boring. You do something and then you do the same thing a week later or whatever. You don't know why you're doing it. You don't even know why. You, there's no, you can't answer the why question. You know what? You know what you do, what you've been up to. You can answer that why. It's, oh, oh, you're lost for meaning. That's tragically painful. I mean, that is, that is brutally painful. The biggest question of the human heart is, is, the, is why? Why am I here? The longing for meaning. If you can't answer that question, that's tragic. You're just doing stuff. I mean, what, when you consider what you were made for, you were made to know him and reflect his glory in, in, through ruling over creation for his glory and for his fame. I mean, it is a stunningly high calling. And then now, what are you, what are you doing now? I'm, I'm doing some stuff. I'm doing some things. Why are you doing it? I don't know. It's brutal. It's fallen humanity. Well, there's the soul-destroying pain of atheism. I mean, I don't know how the atheist gets out of bed in the morning. I don't know how they, I literally don't know how, let alone do really clever talks on YouTube. I don't know how they do it. They can't live by what they believe. They can't. If you live by, what, if you live by that belief system, it would destroy you in hours. Because there's no meaning. Nothing means anything. The things we love the most when we're at our most human, love, courage, nobility, sacrifice, the people we most look up to and say, wow, and champion, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King Jr., um, uh, Mother Teresa, these people that live these amazing, sacrificial, courageous lives. Do you know why? It was for nothing. It was meaningless because the whole system of atheism is survival of the fittest. Do not look after the weak. It's awful. And there's no such thing as love. 
These things, these virtues that we just, and that is the best thing that make us cry and weep and laugh, they don't exist. How do you live in that? How do you live in that? What is that? Clever? Clever? It's a killer. It's a, it destroys humanity from the inside out. Or there's the pain of slavery to dark appetites. Slavery to things that you know, I don't want to be doing this, but it's got a power over me. And I don't know what to do about it. I remember being age 15, part of a church. Was I a believer? I don't know, only God knows. But trapped in sexual sin, trapped, fantasy world. And I remember the shame of it, but I just had no power over it. I thought, I can't say anything to anyone. What would they think? And all of that. I believed all those lies. You know, what would they think? And I, you know what? I just disappeared. It was, it was one, of the, one, of the, one of the steps in the process of moving back from God. I thought, I can't, I can't be a Christian and do that. Just so aware of the gripping power, way beyond anything I could deal with by my common sense or, my, or by my reason. This is fallen humanity. This is what it is. This is what it is. And then there's the terror of coming judgment. The terror of coming judgment. Because the Bible says that we will all be held to account for what we do. You were made by him and you were made for him. And you spend your life doing your thing. You will be held to account for that. You'll be held to account for that. It's the reality of what it is. I'll just read a few scriptures just to say, I'll just, this is what the Bible says. I'm reading word for word. I'm reading word for word. There is none right, none is righteous, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. This is Romans 3. All have turned aside, together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. They laugh and joke about God. They take his name in vain. There's no reverence. No sense of esteem of him. It's fallen. We've fallen. And God's response, well, it's a fascinating thing because God comes looking. God does come looking. I'm going to speak to you about that in a moment. But you know, to the heart in heart, to those who will not respond to his overtures of love, to those who stay firm, stubborn in there, I'm going to cut my own way through. The Bible talks about this. It talks about different, in the book of Revelation, it says, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up. Every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Revelation chapter 20 says this, I saw a great white throne And him who was seated on it, from whose presence earth and sky fled away. And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And it goes on and it goes on and it says, it says that everyone is held to account for the deeds done in their body. And we know it, we know it, and we know it in our deepest part, which is why we justify what we do, we create, I have found myself at times, I tell you, I, I've wanted to do something and within a split second, the human brain is incredible. I've created a whole system of justification as to why it's okay, even though my conscience is saying, this is not okay. In a split second, I've got arguments, I've got reason, I've got clever sounding words to defend myself. What is that? That is a preparation for judgment. I know, and you know, and we know that we will be held to account. We are morally responsible creatures. The pain of fallen humanity is that you know that day's coming. And that when you stand before the one who sees right through all the nonsense, all the clever words, all the sound arguments, and looks right to the heart, the Bible says that no one can stand in judgment. You will not stand by your own righteousness. Some people say, when I see God, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that. I'll tell you, you're not going to say anything. Earth and sky flee from his presence. He's awesome. Awesome in his holiness. Awesome in his majesty. Awesome in his purity. Utterly pure. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. This is who he is. This is who he is. And so, what can we do? What do we do with this? Well, on one level, I want to say this to you. Do you honestly think that if there was anything you could do, or anything I could do, that God the Father would have given over his beloved son to death on a cross? Do you honestly think if there was another way, if there was something we could do to sort ourselves out, if we could fix up, that the Father would give his beloved son to die on a cross? Of course not. And so, actually the key is to see our helplessness. There's nothing we can do. We are criminals, all of us. We are moral criminals, all of us. All of us. You might say, I'm a law-abiding citizen. You don't understand, I've never done this. You might not have broken the rules and the laws of the UK. You've broken the rules and the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, every one of us. Every one of us. So what can we do? Well, nothing really. And it's why the natural man hates the gospel. It's why fallen men and women hate the gospel, because we love to feel we've contributed something. Yeah, God, you did all that, and then I'm going to do this, and we're going to meet in the middle somewhere. Listen, there's nothing a fallen person can do. The more you do, the worse it gets. The more good things you do, the more proud you get. The more righteous stuff you do, the more you look down on other people. It just gets worse. It's a tangled web that is outside of our own power. This is a state of spiritual death. A dead person cannot bring themselves to life. It's not sleep, it's death. We are helpless. We must see that. You have to come face to face with your condition, with your fallen heart. You have to look at the 90%. You have to go beneath and say, what, 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 what am I about? As much courage as it involves, you have to do it. No more fixing up. No more fig leaves. No more hiding. God comes walking. God comes looking in love. God comes looking in love. God doesn't come looking for you so that he can judge you. He comes looking for you so that he can rescue you from judgment. God comes looking in love. The Bible says that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. God's preferred course of action is forgiveness and mercy and grace. That is the preferred course of action in his, in his heart. He wants to put things right with you. 
but he is just and hallelujah that he is just. Because the fact that judgment is coming means that every wrong will be put right. And we love that. When I get wronged, I'm thinking, oh, well, I hope God's going to put that right. It's a good thing that God is just. It's a great thing. The problems only begin when I realize, oh, oh, hold on a minute, I've done wrong. I don't like it anymore. It seemed like a really great idea that God was just and God was going to judge the world. It seemed brilliant because I've been wronged by this person and that person and God's going to straighten it all out. And then suddenly I realize, I look in the mirror and I realize who I am, what I am, my selfishness, my vanity, my harshness, my impatience, my irreverence, my utter self-obsession. And I go, oh my God, I don't like, I'm not sure I like the idea of judgment anymore. Because I suddenly realized that he's going to deal with me as well. How? Do we respond? God comes looking for you today. Come out. Don't hide. You can hide in numbers of ways. You can hide by leaving the tent. You can hide by just saying the right words. Oh yes, hallelujah, thank you Jesus. Say the thing. He He likes those sorts of words. Say those sorts of words. No, 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 no. He looks to the heart. He looks to the heart. Give up the game of fixing up. Give it up. Give it up. You know, if the Holy Spirit is cutting you to the heart and actually saying, yeah, come on, look, hold on a minute. What are we going to do about this? That's called conviction. It's when God arrests you. He arrests you personally and he lets you know by his Holy Spirit Something's not right. He lets you know. Well, you think, well, why, why would God do that? I'll tell you why I do that. He's like a surgeon. Because these sins are like a cancer. And he diagnoses them right so he can cut it out so you can live. It's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. But he is the God of all reality and the God of all truth. The Bible says that he loves truth in the inmost parts. And so to be utterly truthful with God and to allow the Spirit to just come and, 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 and come alongside and, 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 and nail you on some stuff. I say, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about this pride? What are we going to do about the, your attitude to your parents? What are we going to do about that? It's not okay. What are we going to do about the fact that you seem to think the whole world revolves around you? What are we going to do about the fact that you, you, just, you just, you make jokes about God as if he's like one of the boys? What are we going to do about that? Spirit comes and he teaches us. He comes alongside and he cuts right to the depths of us and he says, what are you about? What are you about? Is it to be feared? Yes and no. Yes and no. Why yes? Well, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Why no? Because he's good and it brings healing. Sometimes it's scary going to the doctors. Sometimes it's scary going to the hospital. You think, is it going to hurt? Maybe. Am I going to get better? Yeah. I mean, otherwise, we just become superficial. We become shallow people. And God hates it. He can't fellowship with it. He can't fellowship with that because it's essentially falsehood. He wants reality. That's what he's after today. If you have to mourn over your sin, the Bible says, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. 
Some of you just need to, the Spirit of God is just kind of convicting you. You know, man, alive, I just, I, I, I've not seen it like this until today. Why, why am I now seeing it like this? The Holy Spirit is just convicting you. Why? So that you can mourn over your sin. Why? So that you can be forgiven. Why? So that you can be healed. It's always good with God. Always good with God. You don't have to heal yourself. God will sometimes inflict a wound, if you like, in order to get the cancer out, in order to heal you. And I want to just end. I'd like the band, if they can come up, because we're going to have a bit of a response in a moment. I want to end by saying this. The 90%, the iceberg under the water, who you really are, has to be reached. The desires, the heart, the longings. If you're not going to bring them to the Lord, you know what? It's going to be superficial. It's going to be unproductive. You're going to get back to wherever you live and life will just... What God has done over this week, will, it, won't, it won't have the proper fruit. We've got to let God get right to us. Right to us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to sing a song together that really just focuses on His holiness. His holiness. We're not going to shy away from it. We're not going to try and... If we can bring, sometimes we think if we can make God a little bit less holy, I feel a bit more comfortable. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, is, that, is that God is holy. And yet he has found a way, found a way through Jesus Christ, his son, and through his shed blood. He has found a way to heal us, to cleanse us, and to reconcile us to him and make us holy as a gift. That's the gospel. We haven't got to make him less holy. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing. We've got a little bit of time. We haven't got to leave here until 20 minutes. I want us to sing, and we're going to let the Holy Spirit Lead, lead us, lead you. So why don't we stand to our feet? It would probably help if you didn't talk. I'm going to stay up here. And let's sing together. And then we're going to just, just draw near in your hearts to the Lord now. Don't look to me. Don't look to the band. To be honest, don't even worry too much about the words of the song if that's okay. You know, if you want to sing, fine. But just look to, let, look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm coming out of hiding. I'm coming out from those trees. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the fig leaves off. I'm... Right, Lord, do what you've got to do. I trust you. I'm not going to believe that serpent. You're trying to ruin my life. I'm not going to believe those lies. I'm going to trust you've got a good plan. I'm coming out and here I am, Lord. Here, and we're going to just, I tell you, you haven't got, I haven't, I, I'm going to try and help us, but it's the Holy Spirit now who can meet with each one of you as church groups, as individuals, he can just touch you. So just let him do that now as we sing this song.